God needs some willing vessels to be used. Here am I, I will go, I will reach the lost untold. I will give the Lord control. Is it too late for caring? Does Jesus really say? Are we truly praying for the blind to find their way? Little children are falling into a burning hell. Will anyone heed the calling to go and tell? Here am I, I will go. I will reach the lost untold. I will give the Lord I will tell them of the crimson flow. For my Savior died on that old rugged cross. He thought of me when he counted the cost. How can I say that I love him if I don't reply? Here am I, I will go. crimson flow Here am I Here am I Savior Here am Some great singing tonight, huh? Great music. Wow. Well, amen. I wonder, boy, I tell you, this uh, campaign we have coming up soon, this soul winning campaign, if I ask the question, how many of you think that prayer's needed to make it a success? I got to believe every hand in the auditorium is going to go up. Then the question, next question is, how many of you are willing to do that to make sure it's a success? Uh, you say, well, I'll do that at home in my own time. If, if our campaign goes like it's been going, it won't be very successful. You understand where I'm going with this? 
I think all of us need to bring it up a notch when it comes to prayer. Now, there are 240 slots for 60 hours, four per hour. We're wanting to get four people in this auditorium praying for one hour straight together so that they can pray simultaneously or back-to-back or however it works, but it's 240 slots. We really don't want 20 people on one slot. That's not the goal. That's not what we're looking for. We really want you to fill in the, fill in the four slots first, four for this hour, four for the next, and we're doing it all through the night. Can you imagine that? There's going to be somebody at this church for 60 hours straight. We're going to be here. Man, I tell you what, if we're going to see God do something miraculous, I believe it's going to be prayer. And so I think it's important that we come together in prayer. And that's the title of the message tonight. Come together in prayer. Take your Bible, turn over the book of Acts. You know, it's easy to be a Christian if you don't have to act like one. Right? I mean, if all you got to do is say, I'm a Christian, you're good to go, right? It's when you actually have to do it. (laughs) I didn't mind being part of the football team when I didn't have to practice. Man, you have to practice. That's a bummer, especially two-a-days. Hot summer sun, three hours in the morning, three, four hours in the afternoon. It was a lot easier when I was taking a break eating little Debbie's on a rock in the afternoon when the coach thought I went home sick or something till they drove by and caught me and my brother eating little Debbie's and said, aren't you supposed to be at practice? What time is it, coach? Oh, yeah. Right up there he took us and we got to join back in. It was so much fun. It's easy being a Christian if you don't have to do the work. Acts 17, chapter 17, verse 1. Acts chapter 17, verse 1. Beginning in verse 1, we read, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis, 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 Wow. And Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sword, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. When they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. I don't know about you, I'm stopping right there because I like that phrase right there. These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. 
You realize that the early church, if you've read through the Bible at all, you know that they experienced tremendous power and blessing. According to this passage, they had turned the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, it was a miraculous thing that was transpiring and taking place. I mean, we know that the Great Commission had been given to them just a few decades earlier. And yet here they are now talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ and about the fact that the world had been turned upside down, that these ministers of the gospel, these people that called themselves Christian, little Christ, had done the impossible and reached the world with the gospel. Turn, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1, verse 5. It's amazing The Great Commission was fulfilled in their generation. It needs to be fulfilled in our generation. Needs to be accomplished. Colossians 1, 5 and 6. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before the word of the truth of the gospel, in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you, as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God and truth. He said that this word of the truth of the gospel, which has come unto you as it is in all the world, implying that the world had been privy to the gospel, had opportunity to hear the gospel. People sometimes ask the question, well, what about, say, those people in in distant lands that have never heard the gospel. Can I tell you the gospel had made it to the distant land, but their fathers rejected it, and now they're paying the price. Just like you, Dad, if you'll neglect Jesus Christ and your children will grow up to be pagans and die and go to hell, then you can be blamed for that. Their fathers rejected the gospel. And as a result, generation after generation after generation has been dying and going to hell. It's not fair, you say. It certainly is a mess. And that is why every generation is responsible to meet the qualification and to ultimately accomplish the great commission of reaching their world for Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.23 says, If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereby Paul made a minister. He says that every creature had heard the gospel. I don't know about you, that's a pretty bold statement. That's an amazing thing to think, that every creature had heard the gospel. Is that not what the Great Commission tells us? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he says in the passage, which was preached to every creature. That's past tense. In Romans chapter 16, turn there, chapter 16, verse 25. Romans chapter 16, verse 25 and 26. The Bible says, Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, 
but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. Made known to all nations. They turned the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. All the world Every creature and all nations had heard. In just a matter of a few decades, the Great Commission had been fulfilled in that generation. What was their secret? Turn, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Let's take a look, starting in verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Let's find out what their secret was. The Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Now, no doubt, there's no way possible that you and I are ever going to be capable of reaching the world with the gospel in our own power, in our own might, are we? It's impossible. We continue reading, and it says in verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles of the devil are certainly tricks and things that he tries to pull in order to distract us and discourage us from fulfilling the work and the witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. We continue reading now in verse 13. He says, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation. And then he goes on to say, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we say, well, there's the weapon. I want you to know they had a secret weapon, though. This one, pretty plain, right? We usually stop there, and we talk about that two-edged sword that pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrows, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And you'd be correct, and you'd be right. But hold on, there's a secret weapon. Notice as we keep reading in verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints and for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We normally stop at verse 17 with the Word of God, and we say, there's the only weapon that is listed in this armor, and we would kind of be right, but I believe there's a secret weapon. It's called prayer. 
And he, ex he expresses it in verse 18. We normally stop short of that one. Listen, I, I'll be honest with you. I find it easier to read my Bible than to pray. The moment I get on my knees, there are distractions that flood my mind. Man, I can read the Bible and, and I'll do it and I'll say, wow, I'm reading the Word of God and I'm going to this verse and then this verse. And sometimes I get to the end of my reading and I think, what did I just read? But when it comes to prayer, let me tell you something. It is like, man, I got to focus in prayer. I have to be sincere about it. I've got to be serious about it. I can't enter into that thing any other way. And by the way, just simply offering up some words to God is not prayer. We got to enter into the very presence of God. We got to go boldly under the throne of grace. We got to claim the precious promise that allows us that access and enter in and say, Holy Spirit, take me into his presence. There we find ourselves face to face with the Father, the God of glory. Ian Bounds said what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. D.L. Moody said, I'd rather, be, I'd rather be able to pray than to be a great preacher. Jesus Christ never taught his disciples how to preach, but only how to pray. Dr. Curtis Hudson said, There's more, there, there is more that you can do after you pray, but there is nothing you can do until you pray. And I think he plagiarized that and stole it. We'll give him a pass. Hudson Taylor, he said, The prayer power has never been tried to its full capacity. If we want to see mighty wonders of divine power and grace wrought in the place of weakness, failure, and disappointment, let us answer God's standing challenge. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. I read that someone said, I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all and that of all about me seems sufficient for the day. I also read that life is fragile. Handle with prayer. Nothing lies outside the reach of prayer except that which lies outside the will of God. Then we have Sidlow Baxter who said, men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. Amen. Boy, we need to come together in prayer. We talk about reaching our community. We talk about reaching the world with the gospel. We talk about making an impact and a difference in the community in which we live. It's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to do something about it. If God is pleased to answer individual prayers, how much more the prayers of believers who come together to pray?
So I want to take a brief journey through Acts and the early church and see the potential of coming together in prayer. Let's just take a few moments and do that. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We ask for your leadership, and we need you tonight. Bless us in these next few minutes. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, the Bible tells us, And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. And again, they're commanded to wait for the promise. We notice in verse 8 through 11, he goes on to say, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee... Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. We see the ascension here. What are they going to do about it? What's going to transpire? What's going to take place? Why would the angel say, what are you looking at? Why are you just standing here? Get to work. Wait a second. They have to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Wait, they're still following orders from Jesus Christ to just tarry in Jerusalem. So what are they going to be doing in the meantime? Look at verse 12. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zealots and Judas the brother of James. Then all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. What are they going to do now? Pray. They gathered together to pray. They came together to pray. In chapter 1, verse 24, we see them praying for Judas's replacement. And then we find ourselves in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. What have they been doing all along? They had come together in prayer. And now they are gathered again in this place with one accord, it's the same wording. They are praying. They are begging God. They're waiting on the Holy Spirit. They're praying and begging and waiting and praying and begging and waiting. And the Bible says in verse 2, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven of a, of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. We know that Peter preaches a message. And as we turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 41, we are going to note the outcome of all of that 
communal prayer taking place. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. I'm going to tell you something that prayer played a major factor in that revival that day. They came together and prayed. They had been praying since Jesus ascended. They had been begging God to show up. They had been begging God to send the Holy Spirit. They had been begging God to give them not just their marching orders which they received, but the green light to go. And God kicked it off with a bang. They came together in prayer. See, prayer that saves. It's a prayer that saves. Coming together in prayer, prayer that saves. Turn to Acts chapter 3, verse 6. In Acts chapter 3, verse 6, the Bible says, and then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give thee, give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered with him into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. A lame man was healed. And in verse 12 through 26, the Bible shows us Peter in there once again, sharing about Christ and the resurrected Christ. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. And as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. So now they're put in hold or they're locked up. They're ultimately questioned. And then they begin to preach and share the same message with the rulers and the elders. And in verse 23 of chapter 4, the Bible says that they are let go. Chapter, excuse me, 4 verse 23. And being let go, they went to their company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. They went to their company. It seems to me somebody's gathered together here. Notice what transpires in verse 24. And when they heard that, they heard that. They lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, Thou art God which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is then them in is, who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why didst the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Do you realize what he just said? He said, nothing happened by chance. Verse 29, and now the Lord, behold their, behold their threatenings and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thine hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. 
and when they had prayed. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the Word of God with boldness. They came together in prayer. And it shook things up. If we're going to shake some things up in our community and in Sacramento area and around the world, my friend, it's going to take coming together in prayer. Well, I'll pray by myself at home. And that's fine. You need to. But I promise you this. If we're going to see God break revival out, if we're going to see God do something supernatural in this place called Community Baptist Temple, if He's going to fill up these chairs and make it impossible to find a parking spot, and we're going to see souls saved and baptisms and lives transformed and changed, my friend, we've got to come together and pray. I'm telling you, it's not going to be enough to simply have an individual relationship with God. We need a corporate relationship. It's called the church. Prayer that saves. Prayer that shakes things up. It's a prayer that takes place when we come together. Look, if you would, in one other spot, Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. I don't want to get into all the definitions there, but it's a lot of soldiers. And can I tell you, they weren't celebrating the resurrection of Christ. Nonetheless, we see here that Peter is apprehended and put into prison to await execution. They're going to kill him. He is slated to die. He is not going in there to be beaten. He's not there just for a few weeks, months, or years. He is going there to die. Notice verse 5. Chapter 12, verse 5. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Hey, this wasn't just everybody hanging out at home and saying a prayer every once in a while between their chips and cheeseburgers. A church had gathered together and the church said, man, this is serious business. It's time to put away childish things. It's time to say no to the television set and no to our Facebook and no to all these other things and get serious about prayer and get serious about God. Notice chapter 12, verse 6 now. And when Herod would have brought him forth, (laughs) the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. Behold, 
The angel of the Lord came upon him, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he said unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him and wist not that it was true, which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from all the expectations of the people of the Jews. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Isn't that something? Gathered together praying. Can I tell you it was the middle of the night? Remember, Peter was asleep when the angel awoke him. If we look down in verse 18, the Bible says, And as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers what had become of Peter. It was the middle of the night when they were gathered together praying. But what about their families? I wouldn't be surprised if they brought them with them to the prayer meeting. Dad's bringing their sons, saying, son, let's learn how to pray the way Jesus taught his disciples. Mom's bringing their daughters. Families coming together in the church. People lifting up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and Peter who was captive, who was on death row. Oh God, if only you'll deliver him. If, if it pleases you, it certainly please us. And God did. Look at chapter 12, verse 13. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a damsel came to hearken, named Rhoda. I think you ought to name your daughter Rhoda. <laughs> it's a good biblical name. Okay, maybe not. And when she knew Peter's voice, she opened up the gate for gladness. She got so excited. Woohoo! I know that voice. It's Peter. It's Peter. He's free. He's free. He's free. Hold on, though. Watch what happens. And when she knew Peter's voice, verse 14, she opened not the gate for gladness, but ran in and told how Peter stood before the gate. And they said unto her, Thou art mad. But she constantly affirmed that it, it was even so. No, it's him, it's him, I'm telling you. Then they said, It's his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they had opened the door, they saw him. 
they were astonished. You say, what's that teach us? When you come together in prayer, it'll be a prayer that surprises even the brethren. An answer that surprises even the brethren. It's so amazing. There'll be things you'll be praying for and you'll be like, "That's I'm praying, but <laughs> serious? It's going to really be like that? And it happens and you go, wow, wow, God is bigger than I even imagined. Got to come together in prayer. In every single instance, they came together in prayer. If we hope to reach our community with the gospel, we must come together in prayer. If we expect to inspire the next generation of young people, we must come together in prayer. If we seek to reconcile marriages, strengthen the home, and heal our land, we must come together in prayer. While crossing the Atlantic on an ocean liner, F.B. Meyer was asked to address the first-class passengers. As the captain request, requested, he spoke on it, answered prayer. A particular agnostic who was present at the service was asked by his friends, what did you think about Dr. Myers' sermon? He said, well, I, I didn't believe a word of it. Not a word. That afternoon, Meyer went to speak to the fourth-class passengers. Many of the listeners at his morning address went along, including that agnostic. That agnostic, he, he just said, you know, I'm going to follow. I'm just going to go because I'm just I'm kind of interested to hear what that babbler has to say. Before starting for that service, the agnostic, he had put a couple of oranges in his pocket. And on his way, he passed this elderly woman sitting in her deck chair that was fast asleep. She was out like a light. Her hands were kind of just leaning like this on her chair. He thought he'd be funny, and he took those oranges out, and he stuck them in her hands, and they were just kind of sitting there, and he's kind of like, <laughs> He thought that was so funny. After the meeting, he saw that old lady. She was sitting back just excited and happy, eating one of them oranges and just, oh, man, just enjoying that juice dripping off her cheek, and he said, came up to her, and he said, you seem to be enjoying that orange. Yes, sir, she replied. My father's very good to me. Your father? Surely your father can't still be alive. Praise God, he's very much alive. What do you mean? She said, I'll tell you, sir, I've been seasick for days. I was asking God somehow to send me an orange. I suppose I fell asleep while I was praying. When I awoke, I found he not only sent me one orange, but two. That agnostic, he was speechless. He didn't even know what to say. According to the account, later on during that cruise, he was converted to Christ. Prayer is powerful. If the prayer of one person can be heard and answered, how much more anxious is God to answer 
the prayer of his people when they come together to pray. Sidlow Baxter said, men may spurn our appeals. Remember this? Remember we said, he said, men may spurn our appeals, reject our message, oppose our arguments, despise our persons, but they are helpless against our prayers. Listen, we cannot neglect prayer without forfeiting power and blessing. How many of you think that a revival would impact your young person for a lifetime? What price are you willing to pay to see it happen? What are we willing to pay to see those baptismal waters stirred? What price are we willing to pay to see the auditorium filled with souls in need of Christ and the altars ultimately filled with weeping sinners? One of the great prices that we need to learn to pay that I believe, as was mentioned already by Brother Josh, been neglected for so long, is to come together in prayer. It is not convenient. It's anything but convenient to get up at one in the morning, drive into the church, and pray. It's not convenient to spend the night on a cot at the church, hoping the people that signed up will show up. If you and I really want something to happen, we better be willing to pay that price, though. We need to come together and pray. We're going to be praying for our promotion. We're going to be praying for our youth rally. We're going to be praying for our mini family conference. Because we want God to do something supernatural. We want God to do something more than just a mere man can do. That a mere woman can do. You say, God answers my prayers. I don't need to come together. If he'll answer your prayers when you're alone, can you imagine what it'd be like if you came together with others? And if he answers your prayers, why wouldn't you want to get with others so that they can see prayer answered? God hears me, preacher. Good, then you come in here and let him hear you and everybody else will think they, he heard them too. And that'll inspire them to keep praying more like you are, obviously. See, this isn't about me and it's not about you. It's about us. And it's about a world that's lost without Christ. What we do in the Christian life is not always about ourselves. Rarely is it. What we do, we do for Jesus. And there is nothing easy about getting up and scheduling prayer. There's nothing easy about saying, I'm going to show up at this time and do it. I'm telling you, though, if we want God to do a miracle in our ministry... And in our community, we need to come together and pray. Father, we come to you.